But I want to take the next few weeks, and we're going to be diving into the coming of the Lord and the second coming. Just was prompted, prompted on my heart after just our last four weeks of just how faith teachings kept going. We kind of went four weeks, maybe longer, in that general topic, and something just caught my attention right at the beginning of this past week of just feeling prompted to take, I think, at least the next three weeks, maybe maybe further, and just endeavor into the different teachings. We're going to put on a little bit more of the the teaching hat over the next few weeks and and just kind of dive in precept upon precept on the second coming of Jesus and just preparing our hearts and making sure our eyes are focused or at least that we have been reminded. Look at the person next to you and say, you will be reminded. The word says, encourage one another with these words, and we'll get to that in just a moment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren and sistren, Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You know anybody who sorrows without hope? I know people like that. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him, those who sleep in Jesus, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I wonder if the Lord will be shouting. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. I mean, I know the people and the, both with them and are going to be very excited. But, man, the Lord will descend with a shout. And with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. So we got, we got the shout of the Lord, the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. We got a whole, we got a whole like choir like of, of noise, heavenly, heavenly sounds breaking forth with the coming of the Lord. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds (laughs) to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall 
always be with the Lord. Always. I mean, we're kind of always with the Lord now, right? I mean, the Lord's with us, but, but, this, is a different, but this is a different type of always. We're, we'll get to that probably week two and three or something. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, which is what we're doing today. Lord, we thank you for this passage, Lord, and, and your word that just encourages us to anticipate, to look towards the return of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, that we have this, this great anticipation, Lord, this great hope that you've placed within our hearts, within our lives. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. As mentioned, for the next few weeks, we'll begin to really kind of work on our eschatology <laughs> with a specific focus on the coming of Jesus, or as we can see all over town these days, the return of the king. <laughs> the real return of the real king, not just the Amazon king on all their trucks. <laughs> Which, just for the record, my son does not approve of. Anyway, moving on. Eschatology, this study. What a beautiful word, but it's the simple meaning. It's the study of all these final events of this present age. And not only of this present age, but the transition that takes place into the age to come in which we only get a really a, a brief glimpse into the age to come. But in our study and of the final events of the last times, the last days, end times, a dozen different ways you can say it, it's looking into preparing our hearts for these things that must take place. The second coming of Christ is the the culmination of God's redemption plan for mankind. I mean, there is an obvious redemption. There's a plan that God has. Everybody know God has a plan, right? It's not, it's not just all unfolding, you know, like haphazardly as it so wishes, right? But there's a plan in place, and, and God has a redemption plan for mankind. And the second coming, the return of the king, is the culmination of that redemption plan for mankind. The earth has been groaning for millennia. The earth has been groaning since man's fall. Since sin started not only ravaging mankind, but sin also has its effects upon this earth, this planet that we currently call home, though supposedly and supposed to be just passing through it. Can somebody say amen? amen. 
as opposed to grabbing a hold of it. But this earth, this planet has been groaning for the sons of God to be revealed. And it's the second coming. It's this event where this groaning will soon, much sooner than the days that we find ourselves in now, have its release. To call this event only historical would be a gross understatement. As the second coming of Christ will set into motion the final events of church history and enter us into really a a new time clock. A time clock of a thousand years that we'll get to a number three or number four, however long we go with this. A thousand years before everything is wrapped up and we're completely done down here. Thank you, Lord. The final chapters of the Word of God, the Bible, only begin to unveil the mystery and the beauty of redemption and what redemption will actually be as it plays out for eternity to come. It's only a glimpse. I oftentimes, and I'll probably a handful of times throughout this, these teachings try to give you just something to grab hold of a little bit more of eternity because it's one of those hard things to, to offer to, for somebody to grab a little bit more of it and to be able to anticipate it rather than sometimes be like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not ready yet. Hopefully by the time we get to the end, that I'm not ready yet will, verbiage will be put aside and a new anticipation will be birthed in our hearts. But I try to think about the, the happiest moments in our life here on earth. I mean, most if you ask a parent, most parents, what's one of the happiest moments in your life? Thank you, dear. I appreciate it. You all should have shouted that out. And if you don't have kids, oh, the day I got married. No, the day I met Jesus. Come on, there's, there's a few that you could shout out. There's a few that you could shout out immediately. But whatever it is, the day that you met Jesus or maybe the day that you said I do or the day that, ah, ah, you know, and the baby's bottom's getting smacked, if they even do that anymore, they take these happiest moments of your life, these, these, these just moments of just ecstasy and try to multiply that by infinity. And then we'd be scratching the surface barely of what eternity will be like. The Bible begins with the creation and the devastation of mankind in the fall of man. The conclusion is, the, is this wedding feast and this great celebration. We've been claimed by Christ and we've been washed from our sins in his blood to be able to enjoy an amazing and an eternal intimacy with Christ. As we just read, we will always be with the Lord. That's very intimate. 
to be able to enjoy this eternity forever. The marriage supper may be the closing chapters of the Word of God, but it's really only the opening of a whole nother book, and I'm not so sure there's going to be books written in eternity. There'll be no need for them any longer, no need for the Word of God, and likely no need for the printed material anymore as we gaze upon the Lord forever. Today, number one, today, right now, as we sit here, stand here, walk here, whatever it is we're doing at this moment upon this earth, we each are living in the last days. It's been the last days for some time, but it's nonetheless the last days. Everybody say the last days. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Make them a little quicker. We're going to change our verbiage and going from sort of that. And I know that none of us would say out loud, oh, well, you know, Jesus doesn't have to come today. I still have a bucket list. I know you're not. I know none of us are probably going to say that out loud. But sometimes, sometimes those, those thoughts and maybe even those feelings are, are actually sort of hidden on the inside. Oh, well, I want to, I want to see my grand, I want to see my grandchildren. I want to see my children. I want to, I want to, you know, go to Italy. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not speaking my bucket list, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to be careful not to speak my bucket list, right? I want to kill some. No, I mean, I'm sorry. Did I just go there? I just say an elk, a bear. And I'm sorry. Moving on. I told y'all, hunting season's right around the corner. I'm sorry in advance again. But it's the reality that sometimes our, our hidden desires, you know, they're in competition. They're, they're battling with the reality of the hunger of our spirit in our longing for Jesus to actually come. That's why we're once again going to be just digging in there. We're going to be attempting to just sort of dig up some of these some of these maybe reasons why we're not just fully engaging ourselves with at least the the notion of being a person who every day wakes up and doing as the word of God says, watch and pray, look and wait, waiting for the return of Christ, working on this becoming and taking over our thoughts and taking over our desires and, and ruling our emotions. Acts 2.17 says, in these last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and in your young men shall see visions, and your old men, amen, shall dream dreams. I'm not quite that category yet, but some of you are, and I'm kidding, moving on. In the last days, this outpouring has long taken place where the church of Jesus Christ has now access to the full outpouring of God's Spirit, which means 
that we have access to the, to the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit and the victory that we can have in our walk with Christ. No longer any need or excuse to have to be struggling with sin anymore in our life. Not to say, I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying that we have access to the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that brings victory in people's lives. Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, In these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also He created the world. I love the doctrine of creationism and how it's it just it just weaves through the entirety of the word of god it all begins our faith walk begins with with understanding that we are a people who were created by god and for god and for his glory so naturally he's going to be a god who comes back for his people in these last days god Our Heavenly Father is speaking to us through His Son, Jesus. Even the angel declared on that day when Jesus had ascended on high and He had that crowd of witnesses on the mount side, Jesus, the angel said, this same Jesus in Acts 1.11, this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will sow in like manner. Everybody say, in like manner. He will come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He's going to come back just as you physically saw him ascend into heaven. It wasn't like a, from the best we can tell, it wasn't a sort of Poof, it wasn't a sort of like walk through the door, appear in the room as he did to the apostles after the resurrection. But this was a Jesus whom physically, after 40 days, physically ascended before their eyes. And and here they are, just chins dropped, gazing up, kind of stunned, wondering, where is he? Looking around, the angel said, he's going to come back in like manner as you've seen him go. It was soon after that, and we can begin to understand in, in all generations, it was soon after that it, that it quickly began to circulate, they say, of that, of that first generational church that, that as a result of the angel's words and as a result of just those words being twisted up a little bit here and there that the church began to circulate that Jesus was going to be coming back real soon, like that generation. Maybe it was more of a hope than it was a rumor. The angel said that he's going to come back in like manner. So, I mean, that, that first generation church, especially in this, even though they might have been a little wrong in their interpretation, their posture of their heart was 100% right. That first generation New Testament church lived on the seat of their chair 
as if Jesus was coming back like tomorrow. Today, the angel said he's coming back in like manner. They had, they had no idea at that point in time what like manner was or the time frame that was connected to it. It wasn't until the apostle Paul and James and John and, and all these writers began to get these books from the Holy Spirit, the interpretation of Scripture, the interpretation of Jesus' words and life upon earth, where later we then have the clarity of that this could be a while, but that there's going to be signs and there's going to be the speaking and the guiding of the Holy Ghost preparing us. But again, that first generation church didn't have it wrong in the sense that they were on the seat of their chair waiting. They were just like, Jesus might be coming back today. Many generations since that first generation, and, and our generation is no different. So many times throughout church history, we always begin to, this is, the signs are here. Look, get ready. Jesus is coming right now. You got to know in, in the days of the Jewish persecution throughout history that every time, boy, you got to know that they were like, oh, look at God's people's getting persecuted. Look at what's happening in, in Germany and with Hitler. You, you got to know they were like, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming like now. It's the proper posture of any man and woman of God's heart. And though we're going to look at it a little bit more specifically from the word of God, I feel like we should all have our hearts postured as a generation that Jesus is coming back now. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, we're not going to dive into the details of that passage here today, but we're just going to kind of have an intro into that passage because if you want to get a glimpse into what the last days will begin to look like, look in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in those first dozen or so verses and, and it'll, it'll jar you a little bit as we begin to see the description of what mankind will be like in those last days. Today we're, we're keeping it focused on the, the coming of the Lord, and we'll endeavor where the Holy Spirit takes us in weeks to come. But the first two verses of that chapter does say this. It says, but understand this. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. I think some would argue that that's probably said a little lightly. <laughs> Depending upon what generation you grew up serving the Lord in, depending upon what nation you grew up serving the Lord in, depending upon what the trials that you personally had to face and or persecutions in your growing up and serving the Lord. Some might choose to use other words than difficult. But the fact remains that in the last days, which again we've established that we are in, Difficult times will come. I don't think it's all times. I don't think it's all seasons. I don't think our entire walk with Christ has to be difficult. Amen. 
I think there's victories, and I think there's joy, and I think there's peace, and I think there's provision. But there's also seasons of difficulty. There's seasons of unanswered questions. There's seasons of not being able to sort of control or impose what we feel the will of God is for certain people that are surrounding and part of our life. There's difficult seasons. There's peace and prosperity, but there's difficult seasons throughout church history. It goes on to say in verse 2, and I believe these first maybe seven words sort of encompass the whole of what these difficult seasons, what they often look like, but it says, for men will be lovers of themselves. (laughs) Yes. Men, oh, and by the way, women, will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. And that's just getting into verse 2. And we're, again, we're not going to dive into that today. But the last days are signatured by this whole love of self, this whole self-unawareness. It's this whole idea of, of the, the blind spots, it seems like, in the last days. And, and I would just hazard to say, cautiously hazard to say that the nearer that we come to the coming of the Lord, that, that all these character traits only increase. The love of self, the boasting, the pride of, of mankind just becomes just this overwhelming stench. We'll have to get in a couple of weeks where it kind of ends in this passage and it says that these people that we're talking about have a form of godliness, but deny its power. So we're not even talking about those who aren't necessarily not calling themselves Christians. That's a whole nother day. Lovers of self, this idea of blind spots. Do you know one of the greatest things that true Christian community, not implying for a second that that is us here, but we're, we're trying, we're working on it. But being in true Christian community, one of the things that it provides in a man or a woman's journey with Christ is this sort of revelation of blind spots. Some of us think we don't have a blind spot. I don't have a blind spot. Welcome to your first blind spot. (laughs) There's no sin in me. Welcome to your first blind spot. Hopefully good preaching, if it's ever good. Hopefully it, it gently and lovingly helps reveal blind spots. Hopefully good relationships and good friendships help to reveal blind spots. Hopefully that these relationships and and the ability of that person to reveal blind spots in your life is welcomed. It's huge. It's like, let's be pals. Let's be buddies. let's, Let's do the whole church community thing together. But just don't tick me off. Ever. 
tick me off, explain, meaning don't tell me anything that I don't want to hear. Whereas community and Christian community, iron sharpens iron. If we're doing our job, we are helping one another to not become lovers of ourself. Ooh. Ooh, that's hard preaching. Because <laughs> it's hard to do. It's hard to do. We're so terrified of, of even those who are so close to us. We're terrified at, at saying something to them that, that we might f- feel like will we'll help them, but we're terrified at it being misinterpreted. And people being offended and hurt. Without the body of Christ functioning properly, we all are in danger of falling into becoming lovers of selves. When the individual is at the center of their existence, obsessed with pictures of ourselves and people knowing everything about us. Again, we're not that's as far as we're going to go there today. The last days will be marked by difficult days. People will be obsessed with self. No regard for authority whether of parents and or other. Godlessness while calling things that are evil good and things that are good evil, having an appearance of godliness without transformation happening in their lives. Second Peter goes on and, and has a word about the last days in chapter 3 and verse 3, saying that knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, as Proverbs tells us simply and wisely and succinctly that there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death, destruction. Scoffers, loving ourselves, being just inwardly focused. A scoffer is this whole idea of not just, we think most of the time we kind of lean towards, in my mind, lean towards scoffing as mocking. But it, it's a little bit broader than that. It's where scoffing could, could fall into the area of false teaching. Just creating what sounds right to the ears, what sounds right to to me, what I like and what I want to hear, a derider. So again, we're just establishing that, that in these latter times and as we walk with the Lord that there will be difficult days and there will be difficult times. It doesn't automatically mean that, that we're doing something wrong. So many times, like, whoo, thank the Lord for that one, right? 
just, just because you're going through difficult times, don't go on a devil hunt. Don't go on a witch hunt. I mean, you, yeah, let the, the light of the Lord and the light of the Spirit of God examine you, but let the light of the Lord examine you in good times. When things are going well, we, I would hazard to say, are in more danger, and this is completely my opinion in the moment, we're in more danger in the good times than we are in the difficult times. Simply meaning to say is that as men and women of God, when difficult times set in for whatever reason, we are pushed and we do prone to to come and and rely on and talk to and fall upon the Lord a little quicker. We tend to pray a little bit more. We we tend to read our Bibles and search it a little bit a little bit more intently when we're going through difficult times where when everything is just sort of woo you know we're just fat and happy. Not there's anything wrong with it as long as our hearts remain on fire and in love with Jesus, no matter what the days bring, good or difficult or hard or bad. That we always, number four, we're looking for the blessed hope. Everybody say the blessed hope. The blessed hope. That is something special. For the people of God. Just like faith we established over the last month plus. That faith belongs to the people of God. It's not something that any other religion can claim. Any other system of beliefs can claim. It might kind of look like faith. Meaning that they're believing something that they can't see. But faith belongs to the people of God because when one takes their faith and puts it in Christ, a life is transformed. A new creature is birthed. Salvation is received. Following Christ and believing in Jesus is the only faith that can produce this change in our life. In the blessed hope in Titus 2.13 It says, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing, the appearing in the like manner, just as you've seen him go, you will see him return. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope is the waiting for the revelation and the appearing of Christ. To break forth, returning for his people. This is the unique hope for the people of God to be looking towards. And once we begin to understand this, though we have the hope that we can bring more people into this hope, we also have the understanding of why so many hopeless people are walking around out there. Why is that person so miserable? Why are they they always negative? Why are they always without the blessed hope filling our lives? Mankind is literally 
the walking dead. Look at all these movie references today. Aren't I, aren't I relevant? I'm just so relevant today. Return of the king, the walking dead. Never seen an episode of it in my life, but you know what? It's probably pretty accurate. Don't laugh like you've seen it. I'm messing. I have no idea, but just the title tells me when you see the trailer and the whatever, you know, you're like, that looks scary. And you know what? The world out there, it's a scary place without Christ. With Christ, we walk around like with this, this, you know, force field around us. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we walk around and everything's a little bit scary, but we've got hope, we've got faith, we've got joy, we've got peace. But everything else, you're like, okay, I understand why you're miserable. And sometimes we're just, we're tiptoeing a little bit too much. Oh, why you're miserable? You're miserable because you don't possess the blessed hope that can only be found in Christ. That's why people are miserable. We won't touch why Christians are sometimes miserable. There are miserable Christians, unfortunately, for our own. The same. Whoa. We're okay. Nobody get up. It's going to be fine. It's the joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. You see, Jesus promised to return for us. Every generation of Christians has looked for his return as their greatest hope. Part of this great hope is what will happen to us when he returns. And everybody say amen. Yeah. Ooh, when we start shedding, oh, I was like, let's, let's get, let's shed this thing, right? <laughs> I mean, goodness, we don't have to worry about what we're eating anymore. No, no. <laughs> that's all just external. We're talking about the internal struggles. We shed this thing when he returns. <laughs> we should all say thank God. At the count of three, at the one, two, three. Thank God. <laughs> In an atomic instant, we'll be like him. Spiritually and physically, we'll become perfect. Think about that. Perfect. All your imperfections. Okay. I don't know whether I give the husbands the opportunity or the wives the opportunity. But, but look, at that, look at that significant one on your, whether it's a husband, friend, child, or whatever. Say, all your imperfections will be gone in an atomic instant. Go ahead and tell that person. Oh, oh I have imperfections? I have imperfections? There's something wrong with me? Oh, your hair looks so nice today. Oh, you didn't like it yesterday? <laughs> All the imperfections in a moment of time just gone. Imperfection. 
You see, perfection comes when we, when we look upon perfection and, and when he, and that time comes when he catches us away, we become perfect in his presence. We'll have these immortal bodies and sin, thank you, Jesus, will no longer be a part of who we are. At salvation, our sinful nature is cut off and it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the new creation has the power to live upright before the Lord, but it's cut off. It's not removed at that moment of the blessed hope. It's removed forever, never to come back and plague us. Today, we are tasting a portion of this heavenly bliss by the outpouring of the Spirit, at His coming, the enjoyment of God will be our portion. We'll be so joyful at the hope of His coming. But one day, soon, we will enter into full enjoyment found only in that blessed hope. The day when Christ returns for all who have placed their trust in Jesus, have their lamps filled, having hupominoed, for those who haven't been here for the last few weeks, having persevered through every trial and every seeming setback, having not submitted to the mark of the beast or the authority of this world and having endured to the end. We're comforted by Christ's coming. We're comforted by this this hope. It's It's not a source of anxiety. It's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be every time we recall reading the word, having moments with Jesus in prayer and worship, and and his return is recalled to our thoughts. This is one of the greatest comforts that you can comfort yourself with. That this will all be wrapped up. That no matter what is thrown our way, that the Lord is going to come and and rescue us from it all. Back to Thessalonians where we started. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's saying we as the people of God, we are to not be uninformed but informed. Know these things as a man and woman of God. Know what our hope of salvation is. Not just the hope of a, of a blessed and prosperous life here upon this planet, but that pales in comparison to the hope that, that our hearts are to be focused on for eternity. Don't be an uninformed people. Don't let temporary pleasures grab a hold of your heart don't let those who have gone asleep before us in the lord don't let that grieve you or don't let that 
sets you off your journey. Because we are not like those without hope. There's nothing to be afraid of. Look at the person next to you and say, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's one of the, I say this with all respect, but as a, as a pastor, it's one of the, the privileges yet opportunities that, that you can, that you have to encounter when you're visiting with people in those last days, last weeks, last months, whatever it is. And there's one thing that, that is, that can never be fooled. It's when a person is nearing the end of their days upon this earth, whether or not the peace of Jesus is filling their heart. You can't fool it. You can't, you can't fool it. You can try to put on a face. You can try to smile it through. But you can't fool it. I shared a funeral, and this is unplanned, and I'll refrain from saying the name, but a recent funeral. And the gentleman was a believer and served the Lord, him and his wife, for all their, for years and years, led their children in the ways of the Lord. And I was sitting bedside. The gentleman was unresponsive he was days away come to find out from being with the lord and i was just talking with him as if he was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and reading scripture to him as if we were just having a conversation and we were just he just was there at peace you could tell he was at peace even unresponsive and and all of a sudden i said and i believe well i'm not gonna say the name i said his wife's name i said you know what i said i bet you're ready to see so-and-so when you, when you go up and are with Jesus. And right when I said that, that gentleman who was unresponsive laying there days away, I think four days away from being with the Lord at this point, all of a sudden he responded, had a little smile pop on his face, and there was just a, a total just assurance of the peace of God. That, it, was, it was one of the most just precious moments Precious moments at, at, at being bedside because you can't, you can't fake the peace of God in anticipating and looking towards receiving our eternal inheritance. All of us are just a snap away. nothing to be afraid of. You'd be surprised. I know it gets real somber, and I know you're, you're here. I feel your heartbeat right now. You'd be surprised how many Christians, talking to the church right now, how many Christians we still have a bit of, we might want to say anxiety, and we might want to say even fear of those last days. 
And so when I say there's nothing to be afraid of, I'm not saying that haphazardly as just a matter of a theological point. I'm speaking to our hearts today as a people of God because this confidence, this confidence of not being afraid of, of crossing over to the other side and not, not being afraid of, you know, that we, we do have confidence of what's there waiting for us and that Jesus is going to be there to usher us in and that it is a very personal transition, not just one that we're, we're clumped into, you know, a mesh pool of millions or billions. No, it's every single one of us. It's personal. Every one of us. It's a personal transition from this life into our eternal state. There's nothing to be afraid of. Let us not be ignorant of these things, even though today we might not know the hour. As Matthew 24, 36, 24, 42, 24, 43, and these passages, the day and the hour, no one knows. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. If the master of the house had known, he would not have let the thief come in. Therefore, you must be ready. We might not know the day and the hour, but as it says in Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 4, you're not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. It's like a parent waiting for that child to be birthed. You might not know the, the hour when that baby's coming, but, but I guarantee you, you know that that baby's soon on the way. Especially in those early days. How many false alarms those fathers and mothers have in those early days? I think it was, I was trying to remember this morning, I think it was Abby when I came back from Bataan. Was that James or was that, that was James, number one. I was, we were in the Philippines. I'm in a, I'm doing some meetings, like literally Philippines by boat. <laughs> I'm having a baby. I'm like, you're having a baby. I'm, I'm boat. I'm like, you know, train, plane, boat, swim away. Shouldn't have been there in the first place. I should have known the signs of the times. <laughs> I should have known. That's what I get for bringing that one up, right? You were weeks out. <laughs> no, maybe you weren't. One week out. You see? You were one week out. Jeez, new daddy, mercy. So I swam 100 miles. Scuba gear, you know, and everything to get there. False alarm. True story, except for the swimming part. So I got back on the Did I really? Come on, I didn't get back on the boat. Did I get back on the boat? Oh my goodness, I was a, I was a slow learner. James, don't take that example, brother. Do as I say, not as I do. Anyway, moving on. 
What child was it when I went off for coffee? <laughs> oh, that's Maddie. That's here. And I'm just chilling. Mom's there. You know, we got grandparents here. We got support galore. We're in the U.S. having a baby. First baby in the U.S., number three. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go grab a cup of coffee. I meander myself down the hallway, just enjoying life, grabbing a cup of coffee, go to the vending machine, get the coffee, just drinking it, coming back. I walk into the room. (laughs) I'm like, what's going on? Your wife's having a baby. (laughs) What am I supposed to do? Film it. All right. You're supposed to know the times is the point. It took me a little while. It took me a little while to figure out these things. Yeah, you're being bad today. That's okay. You deserve it. You can throw me under the, the bus every now and then. I do it to you enough. The point is that you'll never forget is that we may not know the exact hour, but the Word of God says we need to know the times. Need not be unaware of what's happening around us. But to get ready, to be ready, you've got to get ready to be ready. The Lord's coming is going to be so personal. John 14, 2 through 4, that famous passage as we wrap this up today. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. But listen to this. I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you. It's personal. He's engaged and involved in this place that he's coming to take us to. It's like the idea of when you have guests coming over to your house. I mean, what, the, what happens to your house when, when guests come over? I love when guests come over to our house. It's like guests are coming over. Let's get this place clean. <laughs> right? So that when people walk in your doors, you're like, I have the cleanest, most organized, kept house that you've ever seen in your entire life. I just challenge you to put on a white glove and just, in any surface, any surface at all, it's going to be clean as a whistle. I'm obviously exaggerating. But we personally, people are coming over. We're going to host somebody. We have family. We have friends. We have somebody coming over. Let's clean this, this junk rat house. Let's give on a good impression. It's personal. It's personal. It's personal for Jesus as saying. He says he'll come in verse 3. And I will again come again and will take you to myself. I will come and take you. I will come and take you and bring you to myself. When we're talking about a blessed hope, living in the last days, getting ready in order to be ready, we're talking about preparing ourselves for a personal escort 
into eternity. This is our unique, blessed hope and anticipation of Christ coming for his church. Our last passage today, as we're just digging all up in the word of God. Too many scriptures for anybody? Anybody? Y'all okay? Are y'all okay? Okay, I'm just making sure. Luke 19, and we'll end with this. Worship team can go ahead and come. Luke 19, verses 11 through 15. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. There's that first generation idea I was telling you about. Verse 12. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called his ten of his servants and he delivered to them ten minas and said to them, do business till I come. Another translation says, occupy until I come. But his citizens hated him and they sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, everybody say, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money and he called to him, these servants, that he might know how much every man had gained by their training. He called to them that he might know. The king has come. The king has ascended. The king will return for his people. We need to be a people who are ready. We're ready for an any moment return of Christ. Let me say that again. We need to be a people who are ready for an any moment unexpected return of Christ. We are looking. We are awaiting his return. But not just gazing up into heaven as the disciples were doing on that day of his ascension, jaws dropped, almost frozen in time. When the angel said, he's going to come back and he'd already given his instructions to go and wait for the promise. In preceding the promise coming upon the people of God, from there we're each to go and occupy. We're each to go and do our business. This isn't just the ministry of the gospel. This is each one of us going and doing what God has instructed and called us, living our life, living it for the Lord, doing our business for the Lord, occupying for the Lord, preaching the gospel for the Lord, having an expectation and awaiting for the Lord, having our hearts and our lives prepared for in any moment, return of Christ. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and stand to your feet, please. As you stand to your feet, 
I'm going to ask you, just close your eyes for a moment and open up your hearts. Close your eyes for a moment and open up your hearts. And I want to ask you today, are you ready? Are you ready? Every one of us, Lord, help us if we don't give each person here and watching or listening an opportunity to get your heart ready right now. Are you watching? Are you waiting? Whoo! Unexpected. No one knows the hour. But we're to be not uninformed. We're to be a people who see the trees and know the season. We're to be a people who, if Jesus was to split the heavens and and call us up and catch us up into the clouds today, that we're a people who are ready and waiting for Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm just going to ask you to everyone in this place to just pray with me today. Every person, young and old, this is a preparation moment. It's a preparation moment. It's a recalibration moment for some of us. It's a shaking. It's a jarring for some of us. Fall not asleep. Be not sleepy as we wait. Could you not pray for one hour? Let us be a people who are ready. So let's get ready to be ready. Hallelujah. Just take a moment with your hearts open. As the Holy Spirit, the Word of God has gone forth, I pray that it has hit your heart and your ears in a way that you can receive and be challenged and encouraged in the mighty name of Jesus. But allow the Holy Spirit now to continue to do His work of drawing, of convicting, of transforming, of glorifying Jesus in your life. Holy Spirit, have your way in the heart of every man and woman in this house, Lord. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Jesus.